Hey guys, so, yeah, I saw the Junkyard Dog, um, episode, um, Dark Side of the Ring, but I also wanted to come on and talk about the Doink one, since I didn't get the chance to, to do that yet, um, and, and I will say this, the Doink one, Matt Bourne, if you will, yeah, it was dark, there is no doubt about that, it was very dark, you know, they touched upon his history, you know, basically how he got into wrestling, um, mainly how he started in the Portland area because, you know, the second generation star because his dad was, I think, tough Tony Bourne and then how he migrated from the Portland area to places like Mid-South, um, Georgia Championship Wrestling, you name it. And it was, like I said, very interesting. They even touched upon the fact that, um... He was part of a heel group, heel faction called the Rat Pack, along with DiBiase and, um, you know, along with Ted DiBiase, I should say, and Hacksaw Jim Duggan. And there was an incident, basically, where a fan, you know, tried to get um, at Hacks, you know, at Hacksaw. You know, he tried to, you know, he slugged him. He hit him, hit Hacksaw in the face, or did something. And Hacksaw just hit him back. And as the guy fell forward, Matt Bourne ended up kicking the guy so hard in the head that it, in the reenactment, it showed graphically the guy's eyeballs, and that's how they described it, coming out of his socket. Although there have been other interpretations, other versions from not just like Hacksaw and everything, but also from other people around that tell a different, you know, uh, take on what happened. So... So yeah, uh, basically, um, Hacksaw, you know, uh, kept his job because of that, but, you know, at Mid-South, but Matt lost his, because what happened was the person that, you know, got got their head kicked in to the point that the eye socket came out, um, they ended up suing, you know, Bill Watts, they ended up suing Matt Bourne, they ended up suing Mid-South. And because they sued them, Matt Bourne ended up losing his job, and the Rat Pack trio faction was no more. Um, um, after that, Matt ended up in WWF. And if you watch the first WrestleMania, and they did show the highlights of this, Matt was, you know, the uh, in the first match of well, not the first match. It was I think it was the second match or something like that for WrestleMania one. But he only stayed in WWF for a year because, of course, his drug problems. And this, and this basically is what caused him to kind of get in trouble in some of the promotions he was in. It was his drug problems. And there were many incidences by, you know, be, being told by people that, you know, when it came to Matt, that, you know, got him in a lot of trouble. You know, for example, B. Brian Blair um, met Matt at a bar that the wrestlers hung out in. I think it was in Florida when he was traveling there, working there. And Matt was so high and drunk or whatever that he got in, you know, B. Brian Blair's face and it's like, you know, telling him, basically, you know, accusing him, asking him, hey, why are you hanging out with my girlfriend and stuff? And Blair's like, I don't know what you're talking about. So the moment Blair turns his back, that's when Matt Bourne gets on him. He starts beating up on him. Blair fights back. Blair basically chews his mouth off, or chews his bottom lip off, bites his bottom lip off, off, if you will. And, you know, this is beating and everything, and 
you know, they're set, you know, and they're trying to get separated. You know, wrestlers and staff there, I think, are trying to separate them. And then later on, you know, um, they're, you know, they're just, you know, you're thinking everything's cooled down, right? But, you know, and Blair's having a few drinks. People are toasting him for beating the heck out of Matt. But then Matt just suddenly comes back and fights him again. And, and what it, what's interesting is, you know, long story short, Blair's like, what Matt did to me, you know, you know, shouldn't have happened, you know, the way it did. He's like, you know, beat, you know, you beat up on him, put him down, knock him out. But the way Blair was fighting him, he said, was not human. And that that's what the drugs did to someone like Matt Bourne. They turned him into a freaking superhuman. So anyway, long story short, Matt, like I said, ends up losing his job with, um, with WWF because of his drug problems and everything. Because he was caught, according to various reports, he was caught smoking um, a, smoking, a, you know, smoking a, in a hotel room or hotel hall, hallway where they were staying, and he lost his job uh, because of that. He lost his job because of that. And um, after that, of course, he did some independence, I believe. And then he ended up landing a job with uh, WCW as Big Josh. And I do remember seeing Big Josh a couple of times in WCW, and this was at a time. Where I was getting into the wrestling, I was I, my exposure to wrestling back in the early, back in the mid to late '80s was Hulk Hogan's Rock and Wrestling, flipping through the channels, ESPN, seeing AWA and stuff like that. But I didn't really start getting into the live action portion of it until, like I said, the late '80s, and everything, late '80s, early '90s, and every, and all that. I mean, I do remember watching it on occasions, but it's not as much because, again, I'm a kid. You know, I, all I'm concerned about is watching cartoons. So, anyway, I get into watching it a little bit more, and I'm flipping through the channels, and I'm getting to not only still watch AWA, but I'm watching WWF, of course, more so than the AWA. Uh, and then I'm watching WCW, and I think this was around the time that Ted Turner bought them, but they were still associated with the NWA. But anyway, that's when I first saw Big Josh. And I'm like, okay, this guy... Looks big. He's big and he's big and intimidating, basically. And and here's the thing, though, it, it didn't seem like you know Matt Bourne was that big of a guy, but he was. And the way they presented him, obviously, as Big Josh, you know, they tried to make him bigger than what he was, uh, or the, what he originally looked like. And um, yeah, that's the first time I saw him, you know, uh, on a national level. You know, because I didn't know he was part of WWF back in the '80s, so I didn't care. But back then I saw him. And then, shortly after that, of course, you're flipping through the channels and you're noticing some, some talent already gone. Like you learn about talent in one promotion and then suddenly that talent's gone. But then you hear their name show up or be mentioned in another promotion. And you're like, okay, you know, going over there, at least I can see him there. And um, Big Josh, he left WCW again due to, I think, his drug problems and all that. And he ended up in W, I think it was Drug Problems, or his, his contract about something like that. And it caught the attention of Vince, and Vince, basically according to stories, was like, I know just the person who, who to play this uh, this clown character, this evil clown character, and it was, and it was Matt. Matt became, because he also was once known as Maniac Matt Porn, he became Doink. And to be honest with you, you know, I am in agreement. This version of Doink was probably the best one, because, you know, he put... Pl- 
he played basically what it was when you think about it was it was maniac Matt born in clown makeup is what it was because he would he would do the laughing the giggling and then all of a sudden he would just get serious like kind of think kind of like Hugh Morris a little bit when he first started you know Hugh Morris Bill DeMond's character but with face paint and that's kind of what it was and I remember seeing him you know several times in the audience you know and they were touching upon him like who the heck is this guy why is he showing up who's this clown and then he started to get more involved it wasn't just you know like with the fans but now he's getting more involved with the wrestlers and everything and to the point that he got into his first program with Kona Crush you know Crush Brian Adams of uh, Demolition and Demolition fame and then later on uh, Chronic fame if you will um but yeah, he started to, he got into his first major program with him. And they did mention that uh, as time was going on, they were discussing behind the scenes, you know, uh, the idea of building him into a babyface. But what was interesting, though, was Matt, I don't think, I, I think they touched upon it, was not too thrilled with the idea of be, being turned babyface or the direction they were going with the doing character. Because they touch upon... They touch upon the match at WrestleMania Nine, and the you know the mirror ver- the mirror doink situation, and you know of course later finding out that it was Steve Kern known as Skinner in WWF, and I think part of the one half of the Fabulous Ones as well, uh, with Stan Lane. You know, they touch upon the fact that Kern was the other doink, and that Matt wasn't too thrilled about that. It's like they did the segment and everything, but Matt wasn't really too thrilled. With the idea that, you know, this was happening. He felt it was Vince's way. And this is what his daughter believed. And this is what I think one of his ex-wife said. That it was Vince's way to, you know, really downplay him. Like kind of bring him down. Sabotage him. And in a way he was kind of right. He was kind of right and everything. But what really happened was he, again, his drug problems. And everything. Smoking, you know, smoking, you know, and all that. You know, started to, you know, really get to him again to the point that he was no-showing events. He was missing some events. And once again, he was caught smoking. Um, I don't know if it was in a hallway or it was just in his room, but he was caught smoking. He uh, was, um, of course, tested, and, he, and I think they found a lot in him, and he was let go. And what made things interesting, they, and they did touch upon it, was he was in a situation to where, you know, you like let's say let's say the whole like for example let's talk about the whole let's bring let's let's talk about the whole fake diesel eraser ramon deal right wwf back in 96 did that because of the fact that when scott hall and kevin nash went to wcw everybody including yours truly thought that it was razor ramon and diesel showing up to invade because you've just seen them on wwf television and now you're seeing them down here you're like what's going on right in the mannerisms, the way they were acting, and stuff like that, you know, it gave that illusion. So, what did WWF do? They sent a cease and desist, and then to try to show that, hey, we still own the copyrights to these characters, and we can use them any way they, any way we want. They have, um, you know, they have Glenn Jacobs, who would go on to be Kane, and they had um, the guy that would be known as Big Titan in Japan show up as the new Razor and the new Diesel to send the message of, hey, we can put anybody that's seven feet tall or six 
six foot six, you know, you know, in these outfits and give them these names and these and have them use these mannerisms, you know, identical to the originals. And we'll just say, you know, this is Diesel, this is Razor Ramon, and everything. Even if, even if we did, even, or even if we do, and they did do it, uh, play off the fact that hey, these are not the real deal. This is not Scott Hall. This is not Kevin Nash. You know that they would still, they would still acknowledge them as Diesel and and Razor because they own the copyright. And the same with Doink. The only difference is, you know, whoever. Whoever you had done the face paint in the in the wig in all the mask and wig, if you will, in the outfit, uh, basically, you know there was no there was no way people could de- detect it was di- it was somebody different. I mean, yes, the smart fans and yes, there were smart fans back then. They could detect it. They could see a few differences, but most of the time it was like, eh, no big deal, no big deal. You know, it's like. You know, it's it's just doink. And what happened is Matt, again, like I said, you know, his drug problems and all that caused him to the point that he decides he's going to go to ECW. Yes, he he's going to go to ECW. But in between, I think what they said is he, his family said he ended up finding them where they were in, in Oregon or in Texas, one of the places. And he ended up getting a job as an accountant, but it still wasn't enough. And especially with his drug problems and, and all that. So he finally got an opportunity to redeem himself in, or at least try to rebuild himself um, in ECW with the born again character. And the way it was played off is Matt would basically be Maniac Matt Born, but kind of split personality. And what he would do to his opponents, and they had footage of, the, of him doing this to, to Cold Scorpio, you see, he would put. The, hat, the headpiece with the hair over them, and he would say something like, you know, how's it, how's it feel to live to, uh, uh, how's it feel to experience my hell, or live out my hell, and all that. Basically taking a shot at the, the fact that the doink thing was a living nightmare for him. But the thing is, and they showed him doing a documentary on this, I guess he was doing one for an independent show or something he was doing, and he was donning the face paint, and he still became Doink. Even, even after WWF, oh, Vince McMahon basically sent him a cease and desist, and and to not do it anymore. But he kept doing it. It was like you know he, it was like a case of okay, he got residuals, royalties, and everything because of action figures, game appearances, and all that. But he still said you know, f him. You know he still he still said f him, if you will. And, you know, excuse my language, God, fuck him, if you will. That's basically what he said. And he kept doing it. And I guess it gets, got to a point that, in my opinion, Vince is like, screw it. You know, it's not worth fighting over anymore. Let's just let him do it. You know, let's just let him do it. Because I think they also realized it got them more exposure with the word getting out that this doink was WWF, a WWF doink. And that, hey, one night he could show up here. You know, on an independent show in Northeast Canada, and then magically show up in, you know, Albuquerque, New Mexico for a Monday Night Raw appearance, and that was it. You know, so it kind of created that illusion that they profited off of. But yeah, he was he did the born again character for a while. Uh, they didn't touch upon the fact that he aligned himself with Shane Douglas for a bit, but he did do the born again character in ECW. 
But once again, his drug problems got the best of him, surprisingly, of all places, ECW. And he was just out of a job. And again, he was doing independence. He you know, obviously got some other jobs and everything. But his drug problems just were just really catching up to him and all that to the point that he did a lot of things outside of the ring, you know, with his family, you know, to his family at times, you know, to where it's like his wives were like, we can't, we can't deal with this. We can't live with this. And one of the wives he was with, you know, he had a child. She had, or she had a child with him. And he was just so messed up one time. He was throwing cigarette butts at him with, you know, littered cigarette butts at her and the child. You know, he was beating up on her with the child. Almost caused the child to go flying, I think they said. And she was just like, one day, I'm done. I'm done with this and everything. And... And then the other wife, who he had some kids with, kids with, you know, felt the same way. Because, you know, he was trying to get clean, but he just couldn't. And she just took both kids and told him, I'm leaving. I, I can't deal with this anymore. And what's crazy is he didn't stop her. He said, I understand. Because this was also the wife, I think, that he ended up, you know, getting angry with her, accusing her of something, you know. And he just beat the heck out of her to the point that she ended up in the hospital without her eyesight, you know, for two weeks. I mean, she could still see, but her eyes were so, you know, so swollen shut that she couldn't open them up for two weeks. And when he came into the hospital, you know, he couldn't remember, you know, how exactly she got there, but, you know, I guess it dawned on him that he probably was the one that did this because of this drunken outrage. And he apologized and everything and, and all that. And then later later on, he met another girl, a girlfriend, um, who was a nurse, a manager, if you will, in the CWA, the early USWA, um, as Nurse Something. And she said they were just both crazy for each other, both compatible because they were both crazy, crazy for each other and all that. And she moved in with him. And here's where things get interesting. Because it was his... It was, you know, his time with her that really, you know, everything, you know, you know, life-wise came crashing down. You know, because, of course, all the drugs caught up with him. You know, he was trying to help her take care of her mom, and her mom had medicine and drugs to help her feel better, you know, because she was older. And all of a sudden, you know, he starts having this attack. You know, he has... He, well, basically, they get to the moment to where he's having, you know, he's going to die. He gets to the day he's going to die and everything. And he's having this moment to where it's like, it feels like he's having a heart attack. He gets on his knees. He's asking her, I think her name was Connie, to, to marry her. And she's like, I, I don't know what they're doing here. This is freaking me out. And so anyway, she just helps him to the chair, lets him lay there on the chair, or sit on the chair, relax and everything. And... That was it. Basically, what happened next is, well, it wasn't the chair. It wasn't the chair just yet. It was, it was on the bed, and she said she heard some gurgling sound. And she's like, what? And she's thinking, is he snoring and all that? But then she turns, she sees his foam coming out of his mouth, coming out of his nose. And she's going to, and this is what gets people suspicious of whether or not she had something to do with his death. Because the daughter believes that this last lady, this Connie lady, 
you know, you know, is responsible for her for her dad's death. And Connie's like, I don't know why she feels that way. That that surprises me. You know, and everything. I, I, I don't. I don't know why she believes that. And yet you have all this toxicology autopsy reports that have been filed by the police that kind of, I guess you could say, um, differ. They differ from from what she's telling people, from what she's telling the, the people at Dark Side of the Ring, from her stories. They differ from the account, like the timing of when she called, you know, 911, you know, when she went to bed, you know, basically this, this is something very suspicious. So this is why the daughter believes she had something to do with it. Now, Solomon, when he talked about it in his, in his review, he didn't say she, he didn't point her out as being one of the enablers. He pointed, I think his second wife out as an enabler that kind of caused him to lose his uh, job, I think with WWF when he was doing the clown. Anyway, Long story short, uh, Tegan, Matt Bourne's uh, da uh, daughter, believes that this Connie lady had something to do with it. And even Solomonster feels like, you know, he, she had something to do with it as well. Now, they did interview people. They did. They interviewed, um, they interviewed uh, Hacksaw Jim Duggan, who wasn't into part in this because he knew Matt, part of the Rat Pack and all that. They interviewed Jim Cornette. Of course, they interviewed the wives and the daughter. And I think... And they interviewed Bebe and Blair. And I think they interviewed Jake, I believe. I'm not really sure. Jake's been, Jake the Snake's been very prominent in a lot of these. Uh, even if he didn't need to be. But, you know, but they... You know, they interviewed a lot of people. And... Hacksaw basically brings up a situation... To where... Uh, he was doing an independent show in the early 2010s. I think it was 2010-2011. And Matt is still doing the Doink character somewhat. You know, but he's now he's dyed his hair green. He's got, like, a little bit of the clown eye makeup on. And he just starts talking about the history him and Duggan have. And Duggan's just, like, uh, he doesn't know what's going on, you know. Because even in the back, he's like, you know, Matt's trying to suggest certain things. And Duggan's like, dude, we're going to be in front of 100 plus people, 200 plus people. We don't need to do that. I'm just going to, we'll just go out and do, do what we do. I'll do the USA stick and all that. But then Matt came out and basically, again, started to ramble off on the history. And then when they locked up, Matt kind of backed him into the corner and started shooting on him. And he shot on him by giving him a legit shot to the nuts. And when they tied up again, they, you know, it was kind of more of a shoot. And then they just went out, side, Duggan grabbed his 2x4, Matt grabbed a chair. And he's just telling the ref, hey, tell him if he wants to finish this like men, we'll finish it in the back. Da, da, da. So Duggan goes to the back. Duggan goes to the back, uh, waiting for Matt. But Matt, you know, he doesn't show because apparently what he did, and uh, they didn't talk about this detail, Solomon brought this up. Is that he basically already had his car, he already had his car loaded up, you know, his truck car, whatever it was, loaded up, that being Matt Bourne, and Matt took off. He took off, you know, for who knows where, and that was it. And this took place at a pro wrestling syndicate show. So it was like, 
Okay, so obviously it was like, okay, you know, if, if you're Hacksaw and you're the promoter that booked this match, you're like, yeah, something is not right here. Something is definitely off. Now, what's interesting is they didn't bring up this detail, but uh, Solomon brought up that Matt talked to them, talked to his daughter on Father's Day, mentioned that it was going to be Father's Day and everything that you know, he basically brought them up, said he loved them, and that he's going to be with his father soon. Or he's going to see his father soon. And Matt's father had passed years ago. And that was tough Tony Bourne. He had passed years ago. And that was obviously a sign that something was not that something was not right mentally. And then again, of course, go back to when he was he passed away and everything. And again, there's that suspicion of he either uh, took the pills that was set out for his current girlfriend's mom at the time um, and everything that overdid that caused him to you know to you know to pass or it was you know the girlfriend which again you know the Tegan girl the Tegan daughter uh, believes you know she truly believes um, the the end result obviously when the toxicology and the autopsy was it was in a large heart which a lot of wrestlers do get but it was six times its regular size which would be due to drugs so that didn't help and everything, but so that didn't help him in the long run. And yeah, he just ended, he ended up passing and that was it. Now, you know, that was it. Um, now, now, uh, again, you know, this was a very dark episode. There's no doubt about it. Very dark. Um, but yeah, definitely portrayed Matt as someone that was not just heavy into drugs. But also someone that let drugs take him, take him over physically and mentally. Uh, to the point that he had hallucinations and all that. You know, he's beating on his wife along with a child. It's like, he was just... I'll put it this way. This did not... No matter how much, you know, his daughter Tegan wants to uh, defend him. You know, and look, she even admits he, he screwed up a lot. But as much as she wants to defend him... Or even believe he was murdered. You know, this did not paint Matt Bourne, the original Doink, in a good light. It didn't. You know, it didn't. So, so yeah, like I said, very dark episode. And then what followed, of course, was yesterday's our, uh, episode on Junkyard Dog. And this is one of the characters I knew of growing up as a kid because back in the mid. 80s, of course, you had Hulk Hogan's Rock and Wrestling, and he was one of the characters that was on there, one of the prominent characters. And his his rubber L and his rubber LJN figure, you know, the bendable, was one of them that I had. I had him in the Iron Sheik. You know, so I had that one. I had that figure. And what they touched upon was the fact that Bill Watts, who was running Mid South at the time, took a chance on it took a chance on him and basically they became good friends and that every place they went in mid-south from new e from louisiana to arkansas tennessee they sold out the places they sold out the superdome whatever venue they can get they sold it out they sold it out and it was and and, it, and you could see that you can see in any archival footage they would show they did exactly that they sold those places out and everybody was behind jyd Everybody. 
you know, they talked about, you know, the fact that he had a, a feud with Ted DiBiase and everything. You know, you know, they touched upon, like I said, they touched upon the fact he had a feud with Ted DiBiase. You know, how Ted, like, you know, him and Ted were friends behind the scenes, good friends. But what is the best way in Mid-South where basically you have to be, you have to make the wrestling and the storylines blur reality, make them feel legit and real. Like, what? how do you do that? And Bill Watts suggested Teddy Biasi, who was, who, you know, who had a junkie dog as his best man at his wedding. Uh, he suggested, why doesn't Ted turn on JYD? And what happened was, I think JYD was North American champion at that time, or they were fighting for the vacated title, and they were booked as a team. They were booked as a tag team together. So the so the idea was, why not have Ted in this match for the for the title? Uh, basically, turn his back on JYD by hitting him when the ref's back is turned, or he is knocked down by accident. He uses a foreign object or something like that to whack JYD in the face to knock him out out and go from there and basically a rivalry is is made a rivalry is made um you know so they talked about that a little bit touched upon that uh, they touched upon the fact that he had a feud kind of a brief feud with Jim Cornette and his representatives uh, they touched upon the free bird situation with the the hair cream and where he uh, got blinded and everything. And since they already mentioned a lot of it in the Tales from the Territories deal, basically JYD played this role of being blinded and everything and probably not being able to see again, you know, to, to the tilt, uh, to the tilt, to the hilt, if you will. Uh, even to the point that in the Tales from the Territory deal, they showed him trying to, you know, to, you know, touch where his baby was and his wife had to put his hand on her belly and everything saying it's right here. And he just, you know, kept in character with this for a while until one night to where Jim Cornette said that this was, he was one of the only people JYD said this to. During one night at a show in Louisiana, you know, JYD's at wingside and the Freebirds are in the ring in a match and they notice JYD, they're shouting at him. And JYD, he has to keep up the act of, okay, you know, I can't let them know I'm not blinded. I got to act like I'm blinded and all that. And this fan right behind him says don't worry JYD I got him for you and he's pointing a gun right at ring, right at the ring right at the freebirds getting ready to sh getting ready to shoot them and what Jim Cornette said basically was JYD was conflicted because he's like oh man what do I do I you know I, I can't break kayfabe but ain't even sure that I could still see what do I do and basically and basically what happened is that JYD has to thank his lucky stars because the police were able to notice this guy and take him and take him down and all that so that you know JYD couldn't wouldn't have to break kayfabe. Now they didn't touch upon this in in the episode because again they touched upon this in dark in tales in the territories, but this led of course to the dog collar match between him and Michael PSAs and in the match, you know junkyard dog lifts the eye patch up. And shows that hey, or this up both eye patches or something like that, and shows that hey, I can see, I see you, and goes from there. Now they did touch upon the fact that it was during this time JYD's drug problems got the best of him, and all that, 
and that the scheduling was the schedule the road schedule was really starting to change to the point that you know it went from him being able to see his family as much as he could to being seen to basically seeing him less and all that so uh, so yeah basically that's what resulted in him starting to get on drugs from like speed to crack to cocaine to you know whatever dope if you will you know whatever he could get his hands on that he could smoke or snort and whatever you know he just started to get into it then they basically touched upon the fact that JYD you know even though he's getting paid a lot you know for his time in Mid-South and you know you know, he's getting paid a lot, pretty decent, and Bill Watts is taking care of him, giving him a car, getting him a car, and all that. It still wasn't enough. And according to those they talked to, from Coco B. Rare to Tony Atlas to Teddy Long to Jim Cornette, you know, to to his nephew and everything, they even had archival footage and audio of Ernie Ladd and Bill Watts and. Uh, basically, Jay, basically what was explained is to kind of add financially to his support, to the support for him and the guys, JYD uh, basically got women to pay to, to pay him to get, you know, to uh, get laid. They basically paid him to get laid. And if there was any other wrestlers that needed, I guess, some relief... The same thing would happen. Tony Atlas said it happened to him, and others. It's like, oh, get free, get free drugs, and you know, get get laid for free, you know. Um, uh, but they, but they did point out the fact that one time they were doing this, and there was another knock at the door, thinking, oh, it's going to be some of the other wrestlers, maybe another girl. It turned out to be one of the women that was already there. It turned out to be turned out to be one of the women, uh, one of the women that were already there's uh, husband. And what did JY do? JYD basically took the guy and tossed him out. And the wife stayed there. <laughs> the wife uh, stayed there and all that. But yeah, the guy wanted to fight JYD. And JYD is like, uh, ain't gonna happen. <laughs> and throws him out. Um, but yeah, it was a little after that that uh, they, they talked about JYD getting, a big, getting the attention of Vince McMahon. And Vince McMahon offering him money, basically two, ten times more than what he was making, uh, to come to WWF, and that's what happened around 1984. And they mentioned that uh, Bill Watts was saddened about it, felt like his heart got broken, got stabbed in the back, if you will, because he had done so much for JYD, and then JYD just gets this big money offer to go to the World Wrestling Federation in New York. And what happened is that they showed footage uh, from Mid South, where Bill Watts, I think it was two separate. I don't know if it was the same episode or two separate episodes of Mid South Wrestling, but they have Bill Watts coming on there and talking about JYD, just you know, just getting up and leaving, and everything. They, you know, it was basically kind of a kind of a shoot, if you will. And yeah, you could definitely tell he's disappointed. He's very disappointed. Um. But yeah, JYD went to WWF. That's how I got to become a fan of his again because of the whole rock and wrestling deal and Hulk Hogan's rock and wrestling. 
And they did touch upon the fact that unlike his father before him, Vince did not make the minority, you know, the other races and ethics, you know, uh, top priority. Like he'll give them a, a bit of like a push, a bit of a upper tier billing, if you will, um, by, associ by associating them with the likes of Hogan or whoever, but they were not going to be like at that level in everything that Hogan was. You know, like you can associate with him and all that, but you're not going to be like at that level. And, um, you know, JYD, you know, he, he got a lot of fame out of it. He did the, he got famous for singing Grab Them Cakes, which his nephew said, you know, he couldn't lick, sing a lick of, lick of and all that. But yeah, you know, he, he got all the fame. He got a lot of fame there. And it's, there's no doubt got a lot of, got a lot of the residuals and everything. But over time, it just came crashing down. It just, you know, came crashing down uh, to the point that um, I, I don't know if he was just let go, you know, because his contract expired or was his drugs that caught up to him. No, actually, what it was is that he no-showed is what it was. He no-showed a couple of events. I think it was also due to his drugs. And um, he was let go because of that. Now, there was an incident where Tony Atlas uh, went to go get him because Tony Atlas was still working for WWF and everything. And Tony Atlas was told by Vince to go get him to, to be on the Tuesday Night Titans show, which was also going to be taped alongside some wrestling matches. And Atlas goes to get him. You know, everything is going, going according to plan. But then... Junkyard Dog says, hey, let's go over to this one area and find some dope. You know, see if I can get somebody to sell me some dope. The limo driver don't know what's going on. He's just following instructions. And they show up in this one area. He gets his dope, his crack or whatever. And then he asks the limo driver, according to Tony Atlas, can I smoke? And the limo driver, again, don't know what's going on. He's like, okay, go ahead. And, um, you know, that that's... Uh, <laughs> You know, and then because he's thinking, oh, he's, he's only going to smoke regularly, right? And then he sees what he's smoking. And he's like, okay, I don't know what's going on here. I'm just going to leave it be. And he just drives into the studio or drives into the building. Uh, but the but they're too late. You know, Atlas misses his match. Junkyard Dog misses, I think, his spot on Tuesday Night Titans. And Atlas loses his job with WWE, uh, WWF at the time. And Atlas, they even touched upon this with Atlas. They said, you know, he was close to thinking suicidal thoughts until the Samba Simba gimmick came up so that kind of helped save and re rejuvenate his career um, but anyway like I said they they let JYD go because you know he had no showed some uh, events and everything and he ended up going back on the independence where he didn't pay as much but I think just enough for him to get around get by and everything and then he gets a call from WCW, and again, you know, this is how, and, and again, this is one of those incidences to where I'm flipping through the channels, and I see JYD. It's like, he, you, the instant you see somebody like a JYD show up in WCW, you know, it's like, okay, at least you, we, know, we now know where he's at. What really surprised me, though, is I didn't even know Jim Nyhart was with WCW back in the early 90s, back in the, what was it, 93, 92? I would guess it was 93 because that was around the same year they were trying to uh, put him in a tag team earlier that year with, uh, you know, with Owen. And he got let go, I'm assuming, because of his drug problems. And, you know, here he is in WCW. It's like, well, anyway, it's like, wait a minute, Jim was in WCW. 
And they do have footage of him in WCW because he was trying to play up the whole, you know, give the fans or give somebody something to, to wear. And it would always be like a little chin, like a little strap of chin, of hair chin representing that made him, made the fan look like him or feel like him or something. I don't know. Um, but yeah, he went to WCW and of course one of his first major feuds there was with Ric Flair. Um, I do remember he wrestled him for the NWA WCW Championship. Um, so he had a, he had time he had he was there for a couple of years, uh, but then unfortunately he was let go again due to drug problems, and all that. And he just went back to independence, and he he did it. And times were just getting hard for him, to the point that he ended up working part time at a Walmart. Now for someone like me working part time or full time at a Walmart, that's you know in, in nowadays, you know that's good money depending on what position you're in or how long you've been there. Uh, back then, though, I don't know. I don't know how much it, even part-time was being, he was being paid for or anything. Uh, I think they said he was working at security or some kind of door, some kind of position at Walmart, like a cashier. I don't know if it was floor associate or something, night shift. Um, but yeah, he was working there for a while. Of course, what I'm surprised they didn't touch upon was the fact that he did an appearance um, at ECW's Wrestlepalooza. Um, that year, or a couple years later in 98, uh, because they were in the Mid-South area, Georgia, and all that. But they did touch upon the fact that he did go and drive almost non-stop from his home, I think he said it was in Louisiana, to North Carolina for his daughter's graduation, his daughter Latoya's graduation, because he said he was not going to miss it. And, you know, his nephew said, man, you know, just think about how much of a you know, how much that gets you over knowing that your father who's coming to your graduation is junking a dog. So he goes to, to the graduation. Or he tries to get to the graduation. He misses it, but he gets there in time for the celebration. So at least he's there to, to be with her and all that. You know, to celebrate her graduation and, and, and all that. Um, but then, and then they show, but the, and, then they, and they showed a picture of him holding his nephew's son. And that was like the last picture before he passed. And what happened is JYD, after the party's over, decides he's going to drive back and everything. And he goes to the gas station. His nephew meets him there because I guess he needs, uh, you know, some help getting gas or something like that or, you know, something's going on. Uh, he just meets him there. And his uh, nephew notices on the door you know, as JYD's getting in, he notices this this stuff on the door. He's like, dude, what is this? And, he's, and JYD's like, oh, that's puke. And he's like, and his nephew's like, yeah, no kidding. And again, his nephew's kind of like, oh, are you going to be okay? Are you fine? And JYD, aren't you going to get some rest? Because he's wondering, aren't you going to stop somewhere and get some rest? And JYD's like, no, no, I'll be fine. I'm, I'm going to go nonstop. And it's, about, it's basically about an eight, nine hour drive. And you're thinking nonstop. You know, even, I mean, even when you, I mean, I'll, I'll say this. From experience, re from recent experience, even a two-hour drive, uh, if you will, even a two-hour drive or hour-and-a-half drive requires you to stop, you know, even during the day. So, again, JYD said, though, you know, basically, like, I'm not, I'll be fine, I'll, I won't stop, and he just drives off, and that's the last his nephew sees of him. And the next morning, his nephew's at work, he gets the call from his, his mom, Stating that JYD had died, 
he was killed in the car, car wreck and everything. And at the autopsy, the toxicology and autopsy basically revealed it to be head trauma. And from what they described, there was no skids on the road. And then basically, you know, because when you, because apparently what happened, he, according to the reenactment dramatization, he fell asleep at the wheel. And Jim Cornette even said, look, you know, drugs can, you know, keep you going for quite some time and everything, keep you awake for days, if you will. But sooner or later, that's all going to catch up and your body's going to just want to shut down and say, I'm done. I'm done for now. You need rest. And um, basically, that's what happened. JYD was behind the wheel, according to the reenactment, and his body just said, enough, you know, shut down. And apparently, he didn't skid off the road. He just, you know, he was driving. I guess his car just, he just went, you know, he didn't skid or anything because there was no skid marks going to his head, but he just kind of like went off the road and he flipped. He flipped a little, he flipped his car and it was, again, a head trauma that caused him to, to die. But it was also, of course, due to the drugs that were in his system and everything. So, yeah, that's that's what happened. And, um, yeah, it was, uh, it was hard to hear. When I first heard about it, I was like, what? You know, because, again, I grew up on JYD. I grew up on the Junkyard Dog. So I was like, what? You know, um, but, yeah. But, yeah, they kind of talked about that the the nephew went and visited his, you know his his grave where it's a, it's like it's a flat it's a flat um headstone you know it's not like tilting up or anything it's just a flat headstone and what it has for the picture is it's like a, it's got this like little thing that you just twist and the picture's underneath but then you can twist back and keep the picture protected from the sun and then they show that right below him is his daughter Latoya who had passed away, um, I think about a year or two after she um, was there for his induction into the Hall of Fame. And it was due to some kind of issue with her heart and everything that, you know, she passed away from. Um, but yeah, it was just, um, but yeah, it was a, I'll, I'll say this, it was, it was very, um, it was dark because apparently the whole situation with JYD was, you know, the the reason for his drug use was mental problems. His, his mental health was kind of getting the best of him because he was a big star in Mid-South and everything, but he wasn't making that much money on the, as much as he would hope, even though he's being taken care of very well, which is why he would do the whole get paid by girls to, you know, get laid and, and all that and also why he took the money in you know WWF even though he wasn't going to be on that same level but yeah it was yeah it's just a, a you know sad a sad ending to a great career and everything and again the the people they talked to um, in this episode were Jim Cornette Hacksaw Jim Duggan Shake the Snake Roberts Coco Beware Teddy Long Tony Atlas, and then on Carvo-wise, they had Bill Watts in a video shoot, and audio-wise, they had Big Cat Ernie Ladd. So, and they did have footage of Big Cat inducting JYD into the Hall of Fame. So they had that and everything. Uh, they talked about the fact that uh, Big, uh, I, don't, I don't know who it was, but somebody pointed out JYD to Ernie Ladd, 
And Ernie Ladd pointed this out to Bill Watts, and Bill Watts was the kind of person that looked at JYD, realized, okay, he's not, you know, an actual catch-and-catch-cans wrestler, but we can work around that. And seeing that JYD was, you know, a football player, had background in football, he basically used his abilities, he worked around, he basically, Bill Watts basically worked around that. Like, let's use his football background to really, you know, make him into a, make him into a big deal, and it worked. You know, like, you know, because, you know, JYD still had to learn a few wrestling moves, like clotheslines and all that. But outside of that, it was more like, okay, let's let's work around what, what his strength is. You know, what, what will make him, you know, pop in front of people, if you will. And that's what they, and, and to me, you know, that, and that's basically, excuse me, that, that's basically what Bill Watts did. Bill Watts basically worked around that, and it worked. And apparently Vince McMahon, according to others, didn't know how to utilize that. And you can kind of see that that, wasn't work, that that was kind of the case. Like at first, Vince obviously was going to try to do that. But then he just, you know, went in a different direction. and It just never worked out. Um, but yeah, overall, the episode was, like I said, it was dark. It wasn't too, too dark because, you know, we already kind of knew how he passed and everything. But, you know... The, the dark part basically again was the drug issue and everything and how that kind of took a hold of his mental being his mental health and all that and you know it just really got to him to the point that you know again he wasn't you know he wasn't making as much money in mid-south to the point that he had to do you know do these situations where girls wanting to pay pay him to get laid and all that uh, to the point that some of the girls would even pay hundreds of dollars to to make that react to do that, um, you know. So, you know that that weighed on him, and then getting the offer to go work for Vince for more money than what he was working in Mid South, and kind of turning his back on Mid South and everything. It's like that didn't help, and then getting a second chance in WCW, you know, where maybe Bill well Bill Watts was working at the time, and Bill Watts wanted to recapture that magic he had caught before. With an African American athlete being the top tier uh, guy there, you know, it, it did. You know, it was just everything just really got to him, and you know, on top of that, the drugs didn't really help out. And you know, some said that he even got so bad with like the crack and some of the strong stuff that he would take it almost every day. Like no matter where he went, he would take it. You know, he would take it every day, or no matter where he would go, you know, people would know. Okay, if he's exiting the building, he's not gonna. You know, just go straight to his car and go back to his hotel. He's just going to exit the building and go maybe to the stair on, or go and sit on the stairs or go to the side of the building and, and do his do his crack and all that or do whatever he was doing. So, yeah. So, yeah, it was kind of hard to hear about that. But, you know, they did end on the fact that outside of that, they, they like to think more about the happy times, about the happy J right, about the happy times they had with JYD and everything. I mean, when they were asked about when he passed, you know, the wrestlers and everything, Jake the Snake basically said he was uh, happy for him. Because at that time, when he passed, Jake the Snake, and this is infamous, everybody knows, was in a bad place himself. He was still in what he called the trenches and everything. So he was happy that, you know, JYD wouldn't have to suffer with that anymore. He was out of that predicament, even if it was, even, even if it was too soon for that to, for that to happen. And Ted DiBiase mentioned, and and he repeated this again, because JYD brought it up to him on a phone call. He said, 
when you're preaching to those kids, preach to them, tell them not to do this, not to make the mistakes I've made. And Ted said at the end, when he repeated that, that when he heard that come out of JYD's mouth, that he knew that was the JYD that he had become friends with, that that was the real JYD, you know, JYD, and that he was back. That was the real Junkyard Dog, and he was back. So, yeah. Um, again, good episode. You know, just, um, you know, hard to hear about, you know, what, you know, happens behind the scenes with people like JYD and everything. Like I said, I grew up on JYD as a fan, had his LJN rubber action figure. You know, still wish I had it to this day, but, you know, what are you going to do? Um, but yeah, it's just, uh, just hard to hear about that and everything. But I'm just glad people still get to, you know, look past those negatives and look at the looks at look at the positives and, and all that and just look at the impact that he had, you know, not just, you know, from a, you know, regional level, but from a national level um, as well, being able to transcend, if you will, all ethics, because you didn't just have black people coming in to the arenas or places like Superdome and wanted to see him and all that. You had whites, you had whites, you had Mexicans. You had people of all colors and races supporting and getting behind JYD, which was really cool. And the other thing that they talked about was he also gave back to the community. Like, he would go to the schools, he would make time. Just overall a good person, um, basically. But, again, the drugs, you know, and being being on the road so much and everything just, just got to him. And it was like, yeah, it's just, just hard to hear about that stuff. But, like they said at the end, you... You, when it comes to someone like JYD, you want to think more about the happy, happy times and not the hard times or not the bad times. And uh, I do agree with that. So overall, good episode. Um, and uh, they're taking a break next week because, of course, that's the 4th of July. But they will be back on July 11th. And that's going to be the episode where they talk about Adrian Adonis. And that's going to be a dark episode in itself. I can tell you that right now just from the previews they were showing. Uh, but guys, give me your thoughts overall. What did you think of the Doink episode the week before? What did you think of the JYD episode uh, that aired uh, yesterday? Give me your thoughts overall. Super chat. That's our open in the live chat of this premiere. If you want to help donate there, also comment below in the comment section. Also check out the Teespring store. But clicking the shop uh, icon on the uh, title display when it pops up. Or the little shopping bag icon, if you will. Also, there's the super thanks. If you want to hit that up, that would be greatly appreciated. You will get an audio version of this at B.W. Rose's Discussions Podcast at all your favorite podcast affiliates and outlets, but mostly try it at Spotify. That will help me tremendously uh, with the ambassador ads and, you know, from a financial standpoint, it helped me unlock those. Also, guys, uh, check me out at Patreon.com, so that's B.W. Rose's. Love to get your support there and everything with the $1, $3, $5 tier. And middle guys, that's all I can say. Again, comment below. Comment in this live chat with the super chats are open and available. And until then, talk to you all later.